He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Jim Woodward, Taylor Williams with you today as always. And guys, we haven't talked in about a week, so we got a lot to get into. But guys, let's just go ahead and start with Mayakopa. It's one of those tournaments, guys, where... Normally, there's not many storylines. However, Victor Hovland, who lives close to here, has kind of dominated the event. Um, But I think coming out of it, there's some interesting storylines. Obviously, Russell Henley wins the golf tournament at 23 under, only shoots one under in the final round. But to me, guys, the story of the golf tournament was Scotty Scheffler shooting nine under in the last round. I mean, that's really impressive golf headed into 2023. Um, I, I think that leading up to the Masters, I would like to see Scotty Scheffler put a couple more good finishes in there so he could kind of be up in the contenders or, or favorites list again, even though he's a defending champion. Yeah, Scheffler right now, guys, he's just playing musical chairs with the putter. He played his first two rounds with that new mallet putter that, that he was trying for a little bit. Shot 65 first round, looked pretty good. Shot 71 second round, so then he decided to go back to the old blade that he became number one in the world with. Shot 68, 62, as you alluded to, Sam, with that putter. And so it'll be interesting to see what he does going forward. But as we've seen, yeah, Scheffler's definitely hold back uh, less, at least the last month or so has definitely been his putter. But, yeah, you, you mentioned Russell Henley earlier shooting a, a one under in the final round. Made one bogey all pars on the back nine. Just very, very lackluster stuff. But that's all he needed to do because he shot 63, 63, 65 <laughs> the first two days or first three days, <laughs> which is what allows you to do that. And, you know, Woody, I thought for a chance we might have had a little bit of a tournament because Henley threw five holes, uh, was one over. He actually bogeyed the par five fifth hole. But then comes back with three straight birdies after that to kind of uh, quickly uh, make up for that bogey. But uh, there for a little bit of light, Woody, I thought we might have had a tournament. The problem we have is he had a six-shot lead. And and that I, I'll tell you guys, and all the golfers and everything you guys have ever played in, I think that's the hardest thing to do is play with a big lead. Because there's a part of you that says, I need to be aggressive and keep going. But then if you get aggressive and something goes wrong and you blow a six-shot lead, then everybody goes, you're choking dogs. So right. Henley did he, – he really did what I thought he would do that last round, shooting anywhere from one, two, three under. And as long as nobody went really deep that was right behind him, there was no way they were going to catch him. So he was – he had some demons, though, guys. He'd blown some leads over the last couple of years. So I think – I think what he played, that round he played, was really solid. Russell Henley's one of these guys that we don't talk about much. He's another guy. When he gets the putter going, look out. He can go low, and he can win. 100%. And Woody, I want you to expand on what you just mentioned there real quick. And it's talking about trying to keep a lead. And it doesn't happen very often, especially, you know, it happens more in junior golf and then a little less in high school and then a little less in college and then a whole lot less in professional golf for these guys. And to me, I think that like you just said, one of the hardest things in sports is to close out a lead, especially a big one, because you're so dialed in and everything, and then you all of a sudden just want to guide it around the golf course. And to me, the the couple times that I was up near the lead or had a lead in college, the thing that really helped me was to tell myself to just let it go and stop guiding it. I, w- I would kind of start guiding it, especially off the tee, Woody. What things did you kind of concentrate on when you were near the lead or had a lead? Uh, because it doesn't happen very often, and you're not familiar with those feelings, right? Well, in human nature, you guys, you got to believe that human nature would tell you, I've got this big lead, I've got to be careful. I would not look at leaderboards. I would not have anything to do with leaderboards until well into the back nine, where if I was struggling, I might look at the leaderboard. But most of the time, I kept my eyes off the leaderboard. I would really try my best to just focus, okay, hit the best shot you can, one shot at a time. We hear that lingo used a lot. But I will tell you this, what you will do 
is if a pin is tucked on one side of the green or the other, you will shoot to the fat of the green if you're smart. You don't want to short side yourself. You don't want to shoot at a pin that's by water. You're just trying not to do something stupid. And I guess the hardest thing about that is you've got to get your brain to say, hey, I'm not that big a lead. I've got to play good, solid golf. If somebody comes after me, then i got to flip that switch and try to turn it on again and start making those birdies. That's hard, but nobody really did. He had a good situation. Guys, he he didn't have what you call just superstars right behind him. He had some other rookies and some guys trying to win their first events. He didn't have that superstar. You know, if he'd had Scheffler that was six behind him and comes out and shoots nine under, we got a different game, but he didn't. So he played very smart, very smart golf. And that's what I would always try to do. I, I would catch myself, just like you said, Sam, I'd get myself looking on a tough tee shot. I'd be thinking about, well, I don't want to go out of bounds here, or I don't want to hit it in the water there. I got to where I'd just say to myself, hey, I'm striping the golf ball. Just There's the middle of the fairway. Hit it, hit the green, and just play a solid round of golf. Nobody's going to catch me, and that's just what he did. T-Dub, I'm curious to ask about Russell Henley's putting, and I know that you're a big analytics guy, and when he came onto the PGA Tour in 2013, he was one of the best putters on tour already, you know, gaining over half a shot in his first three years on the PGA Tour, really gained shots on the greens all the way from 2013 to 2018, but starting in 2019, he has lost shots on the greens every year, and this year, ironically, just through two tournaments, uh, he lost a full shot on the green on the greens at the Sanderson Farms and then almost lost a full shot on the greens at the CJ Cup and then all of a sudden the putter gets hot. T-Dub, talk about what you saw different in Russell Henley's putting and, and maybe, you know, what has he done at least this week, uh, you know, that looks kind of similar to what he was doing back in, uh, back in like 2015 or so. Russell Henley is just a classic example of someone who just completely flips their game, and you don't see this happen that often. Just like you said, Sam, the first five years of his career, he's one of the best putters on the PGA Tour, gaining more than three-tenths of a shot essentially every single year. He's always been one of the best drivers on the PGA Tour, gaining shots there every single year. But when he first came out, he wasn't a very good iron player. Lost shots there, but uh, and from 2020 to 2022, he gained more than .89 shots approach. I mean, that's top 10 on the PGA Tour, may even top five some years. So, I mean, he, he became one of the best iron players out there, but his putting wasn't able to do it. And I, I don't really see anything different mechanically from when he was, especially a young player. I remember him even at Georgia watching him play. And there's not a whole lot of difference with with uh, technically-wise. But at least this week, he just, you just saw the confidence there. And he, he especially made some putts early on Thursday and Friday. And I think that's what's carried over, especially in the Saturday when he was able to kind of um, separate himself. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy to see that, that he's able to turn his game around just like that. And yeah. if Russell Henley can have week, Sam, where he's confident on the greens, he's, he's going to be up in contention. And I think it's honestly better for him because it's kind of with his ball striking being better with his irons, he's able to make the floor of his game a lot higher than if he's just making a lot of putts. So he can still finish top 25, top 30 when he has bad putting weeks. But uh, if his ball striking's off, he's not going to um, be very good. But if he does get the putter hot, Sam, the few times a year that he has gained shots back in 2022, they were all essentially the top 10, which is uh, cha-ching, cha-ching for Russell Henley. So, yeah, it's, it's he's just going to be on a week-to-week basis, I think, right. Sam, because he's just going to be too streaky with that putter. 100%. And, Woody, I'm just trying to make sense of this. And to me, maybe just grasping at straws here, looking from the outside from my perspective, maybe the short kind of pop stroke that Russell Henley has works better on those grainy Bermuda greens like we saw in Mayakoba. Am I, am I wrong or am I just kind of grasping at straws there? I think that you look at his putting stroke has is, is kind of changed over the years. It, it seems like to me he used to be a little bit more of a flowing type of a longer, longer kind of a putter. Now he still gets the putter back pretty good, but he does have that little bit more of a popping motion which is a feel type of stroke. It, it is a stroke that you have to get really comfortable on your surface. And these guys change surfaces. They go from the Bermuda to the Papalum to uh, Bent. Uh, they're, they're changing surfaces all the time. So 
it, it's almost, again, guys, I, I've said it a million times, and I'll say it over and over again, it's confidence. I don't know why it is. Some weeks the guys can see the hole and it looks huge. Other weeks it looks like a thimble. And I, I wish I could tell you how the human brain works, but I can't. Other than the fact I know when a guy is on, look out. When he's not, you know, Spieth is a perfect example of that. There's sometimes I think Jordan Spieth is cutting at a bathtub. It's just incredible how all of his balls seem to find a hole, which is all about speed and reading the green. So a comfort level on the green is based on grass. You're very true. And just feeling in your hands how hard to hit the golf ball, the, getting the speeds right. So, you know, Sam, when we played at Southern Hills a couple of weeks ago, those greens were slick, weren't they? Yes, they, were they were fast. Mm-hmm. And you had to figure out how much energy you wanted coming into that ball because if you weren't careful, you'd knock it by six, seven feet just like clockwork, especially if you got above the hole over there at Southern Hills. So, I don't know. It's a it's a feel thing. It's and sometimes your fingers are good and sometimes they're not. Sometimes you're going, Oh Lord, this could go off in my hand. So this week in particular, I find it hard to believe that anybody was gonna beat Russell Henley. He was just too good. I totally agree with that, guys. And let's not fail to mention Brian Harmon, who finished second in this golf tournament. Uh, T-Dub, what have you seen from Brian Harmon that makes him one of the most consistent players on the PGA Tour? I mean, if you look at the analytics since 2020, Brian Harmon has gained shots in every single category. He just seems like one of those guys that is continuously slept on, but he has some good finishes in majors, and he continues to finish top 10, top 15 on a regular basis on the PGA Tour. Well, I think it has to do with the caddy, Sam. I mean, friend of the show, Scott Twain, is out there That's just, right. I mean, giving them perfect <laughs> numbers all over the place. So I, I think let's just start there, first of all. But let's just go to the analytics, Sam, like you mentioned. Been one of the best putters on the PGA Tour year in, year out. Never never even really came close to losing shots all, on the greens in a short game, so superb. And he's just so accurate off the tee. He just never gets in trouble. I mean, we, he's notorious for being like 5'7 or whatever, so he doesn't hit the ball far by tour standards whatsoever. But he just gained, he's gained so many shots off the tee because he never misses fairways, and he never puts himself at least in extremely penalizing spots. Even if he misses a fairway, he's just usually in the first cut. or He's never very rarely in fairway bunkers, and he's never putting himself behind trees and things like that. So that, And that's a type of game, Sam, that can just travel to really any type of golf course. It doesn't matter uh, how hard of a course it is. If you hit fairways and greens, uh, the course can be fairly simple. And especially if you're as good a putter as Brian Harmon is, uh, that'll work. It's just, I think he can get on some golf courses now where uh, distance is so prevalent that he's not able to, to use that to his advantage. But to get on the course like Mayakoba where you have to be accurate, and if you get way wayward off the tee, you're going to be taking a lot of penalty shots. So I think that if he can get on right courses just like this, he's going to have very successful weeks. I was going to tell you guys a funny story about Brian Harmon. Uh, this was back when I was still playing some uh, champions uh, the champions tour a little bit when I just turned 50. I'd go out to TaylorMade and uh, do some testing out there with new equipment. Well, I think it was his rookie year. He was out there at the same time I was. I'd never seen the kid. I knew nothing about him. And uh, one of the guys that was fitting me said, hey, you need to go watch Brian Harmon hit some balls. I go, who is he? And he goes, well, he's, he's a rookie on tour. And I go, wow, okay, I'll go down there. So I kind of worked my way down the range, introduced myself, and I watched him hit some balls. And I thought, dang, how have I never heard of this dude? I mean, because let me tell you something. It just what T. Dub was saying, he could hit the ball so solid and so straight. <laughs> I mean, he was a little bitty guy, <laughs> but he moved it out there. He moved it out there a lot farther than what you might think he can. And But what I was really impressed with is I always talk about the sound a good player makes when he hits a golf ball. I'll tell you something, not like Tiger Woods, but he, he, could, he could compress a golf ball for his size and, I mean, he could stripe it. So I thought to myself, I don't know what this guy's going to do. I don't think he'll dominate, but I think he'll be an ATM machine, kind of like Charles Howells was. And uh, sure enough, he's been out there year after year after year, and I don't know exactly how much money he has made, but he's done quite well on the PGA Tour. 
Maybe T-Dub can look that up real quick. And I and I want to mention Victor Hovland while T-Dub's doing that. Uh, Victor Hovland has a terrible Mayakoba, Woody, and finishes 10th in the golf tournament. Did you ever have a tournament on the PGA Tour or uh, maybe in college that you just played well every single year? Oh, I think you do. I think I, I like the West Coast when I used to play. I loved Riviera. I mean, I, I don't know that I ever missed a cut at Riviera. I just... The golf course was just so pure. I mean, I think, I think you do have, what do they say? They say horses for courses is what right. I always hear the term. And I, I do believe that, Sam. I do believe there's, there's certain places you go. Mayacopa is one that a lot of these guys like to go to because it's, they take their family. It, I guess it's extremely relaxing. I've never been to player karma. Uh, but everybody that goes there says that they talk about how relaxed they are for the whole week. And so that does, that does factor in when a guy's comfortable with the golf course, he's got his family with him. Uh, you know, usually there's some pretty good play that happens either that or they're partying and they just miss the cup. But in most cases they don't, they play really good. Brian Harmon, if you go back through his career, you'll kind of see that, but T-Dub's right. He, He's much better on golf courses that are are uh, suited to driving the ball well. Uh, Victor Hovland, on the other other hand, uh, I don't know when he's going to play well because it seems like he can play well anywhere, but he sure likes that place. Absolutely does. You got any numbers on that, T-Dub, on Brian Harmon's Ooh. money? All right, I finally got to Brian Harmon's career earnings here, guys. That's $24,834,753. I'm assuming that does include uh, yesterday's finish. It is through the Mayakoba, yes, so that does include his solo second yesterday. So not a not a bad career for, for Brian Harmon, boys. No, absolutely not. And obviously finished sixth in the last major championship that we had at the 2022 Open Championship and has a couple other top 20s in majors. Uh, it, just a consistent player, like kind of like what he said, uh, similar to a Charles Howe. He's 100% like Charles Howe. I mean, it's it's both of them can't overpower golf courses. Both of them have very sound swings that aren't going to break down really under pressure. And both of them really probably honestly haven't won as much in their career as they probably should have, uh, which is uh, – and they both seem like very likable guys, both uh, notorious for having a lot of uh, a lot of good things said about them amongst their peers, which is usually a good sign uh, of a good, friendly guy. So, yeah, I, and I expect Brian Harmon he's – only, he's only 35, about to be 36 years old, guys. I expect him to be one of those players with the style of game he has to play for another 10, maybe even up until his uh, late 40s if he wants to and be successful. No doubt about it. And T-Dub, I do want to mention, since we're talking about the old guys, I want to mention a couple younger guys. I want to mention Will Gordon, who finished tied for third in this golf tournament. Sam Ryder, Maverick McNeely, Taylor Montgomery, um, even Aaron Wise down there in 15th place. Um, guys, I mean, there's a bunch of young guys on the PGA Tour that I feel like are kind of next up. And looking at the analytics, a guy especially like uh, a Taylor Montgomery just continues to just absolutely murder the golf ball and kind of take advantage of these golf courses. Woody, it, it just seems like even the 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 smaller guys that are coming out that are younger just absolutely take advantage of these golf courses off the tee. Without a doubt, and, and what I think you're going to like, uh, I'd say you're going to like, the two-tier tour that we're going to in a funny kind of way, these guys are going to excel. And, and it will give them, I, I know this sounds stupid, but if they're not playing against the big shots every week, it gives them a chance to get some high finishes, get some confidence, and to maybe sneak inside that, that top 70 that or 60 whatever they're going to put it at to get to play those bonus events so these tournaments are huge i mean huge for the will gordons the sam riders uh all the guys you just spoke about our our local guy taylor moore i i think he will he will do good in these events and that will help push them over that little hurdle where they can sneak into that top echelon of those guys and once they get in, boy, that's, it's going to be hard to fall out of that because they're playing for so much money that uh, if they can get into those first tier, they're going to probably stay there for a while. And so, Sam, you're spot on. I think they're going to make a big difference on the PGA Tour. 
I totally agree with that. T-Dub, do any of those names stick out to you as a guy that might really excel in 2023? Will Gordon, Sam Ryder, McNeely, Taylor Montgomery, even Aaron Wise, or, or even going down the list here to Davis Riley, who finished tied for 21st in the golf tournament? I mean, all those guys I think are going to have pretty solid years. If there's any of them that are going to stick out to me, I think Aaron Wise and Davis Riley are kind of a little bit, maybe even above all those other guys. But I do expect Maverick Munili to have a very solid year. He just turned 27 very recently, and I, and he's just been playing really solid as of late. Finished uh, His last four events hasn't finished outside of 18th in any of those tournaments. So I expect him to keep that trend um, going forward. Have a, had a really good stretch back in uh, July of this year where he had uh, three straight top 16 finishes. So I expect him to keep doing that. He was a very, very good player at Stanford, and I expect him to kind of get a little bit of, uh, of his college game back. And he's one of the best putters on the PGA Tour as well. So as long as he can keep that the flat stick rolling hot, I expect uh, old Mav to have a very solid 2023. No doubt about it, guys. Let's go ahead and take a break here on the 73rd hole. And then after the break, we're going to get into the match, which we haven't talked about. And there's a lot of live stuff going on that we have to get into in the world of golf here on the 73rd hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back rolling along here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And like I always say, go to GolfOklahoma.org, get all of your local golf news from GolfOklahoma.org and Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford up there in Tulsa. And Woody, tell us about our friends at Quail Creek Bank for me. Quail Creek Bank, located right there on the corner of 122nd and May Avenue. ATM fees, there's no such thing. Uh, Small business loans, uh, home loans. They're a bank that wants to take care of the local customer. They're, they're not a nationwide bank. They're not trying to be. They want to take care of the local Oklahoma people that are looking for a good bank. Why would you want to go to a big conglomerate when you can go where they know your name, everybody's friendly, Quail Creek Bank, 50 years in business, guys. You talked about it. I, I love those guys. I think they're the best bank out there. So if you're looking for a bank, Quail Creek's the one to go to. No doubt about it, Woody. And we have not talked. This came out last week, but it came out after our podcast last week. We have not talked about the match that is going to happen between Rory, Tiger, Spieth, and JT. And that's coming up on December 10th at Pelican Golf Club in Tampa Bay, guys. Are you excited about this? Because this seems like an absolutely electric you know, match to watch. I think that out of all the matches, this one probably gets me going more than any other match because it's going to be some real golf out there and not just the celebrities and the entertainment with Charles Barkley or whoever, or the quarterbacks. It just seems like this is one of those matches for us golf nerds out there, T-Dub, right? 100% Sam. I mean, this is going to be absolutely awesome. It's going to be a, it's going to be a 12-hole event, which I wish it was 18, but 12 holes, that's cool. But it's going to be under the lights, which is, which is going to be absolutely electric. It's going to be cool. And at this point, 
of his career, guys. Anytime we get to see uh, Tiger Woods play, it's going to be absolutely awesome. So I, I just can't wait to, to see him out there uh, grinding it out and just, just uh, probably just having more fun than anything. But the, obviously these guys are going to want to win, which is what we all want to see is the, the competition, the, the fierceness, maybe a little bit of shit talking here or there would make it very exhilarating. But but Tiger's going to have a pretty busy uh, December, guys. going to be playing this match, going to be playing the Hero and down in the Bahamas and playing the PNC with Charlie uh, the week before Christmas. So going to be a great December, Woody, for us Tiger nerds. This shows you, too, how the golf uh, makeup is changing. Tiger is very intelligent, young man. He's not a young man anymore, but he's still very intelligent. And he sees that he needs to get his face out there for the PGA Tour. Um, He has definitely gotten a bomb with Rory McIlroy. I don't know how these two have molded into such good friends, but I thought it was kind of funny that he's playing with Rory against JT. So it is going to be any time we can see Tiger. Because, guys, let me tell you something. The years are turning away, and I don't don't expect to see a lot of him in the next couple of three years. And what you do get to see, let's hope he's still very competitive and hope he can still play. But he's got a big stake in the PGA Tour. So that's I, – I truly believe that's why he's pushing this big December. I really do. Because he also knows there's a little bit to worry about now. There's, there's a new dog in town. And he wants to make sure that this PGA Tour does not get sucked into not being as good as it once was. T-Dub, I want to circle back to something you said about the busy December schedule. Now, today, literally this morning, we saw Tiger out caddying for Charlie at a junior golf tournament. By the way, Charlie looks absolutely unbelievable out there. One of the most technically sound juniors I've ever seen. Um, But Tiger was not carrying the bag. He was using a golf cart to caddy for Charlie Woods. Is there any way that Tiger can make it through this December playing in the Hero World Challenge and then playing in the match? I know it's only 12 holes with a with a cart but you know that he's going to be out practicing for that um and then coming up like you said on december 17th and 18th we got the father son which is also in a golf cart but it just seems like you know after taking a whole lot of time off you would hope that tiger kind of holds up after all of this i, I sure hope he does and honestly i think he will the 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 course down in the Bahamas doesn't doesn't appear to be the hardest walking golf course in the world, so I don't expect that to be a huge issue. And then, By as the you way, mentioned, he's going to have cart. It's his tournament. I feel like he should get a cart if he wants one. I feel like that if he wants a cart at any point, he could probably get one. <laughs> I think it's more of a pride thing That's right. for him at this point. But you're absolutely you're absolutely right, Sam. And he's going to have all the the obligations that week of doing the tournament, that kind of thing. So it, it'll be busy for him there. But uh, the next t- two events in carts, I think that'll be fine. But yes. I think one thing they'll be interested to see is how does this swing look different from the hero to the to the final round when he's playing with Charlie? Is is he going to have any fatigue symptoms for swinging the, his club that much o- over that period of time? And then that'll give us a little bit of indication on, on what kind of 2023 we'll have from Tiger, how much we think he'll play leading up to Augusta, which is uh, at this point of his career, the majors is the only thing that we really care about. But we but we need to get him have a little bit more experience or a, or a little bit more reps going into, into those majors. So that's going to be the main thing I'm looking out uh, for Sam, but uh, but no, I would expect him to hold up because also too he's not going to put himself in any type of sticky situation where he's going to have to try to hit a a, a, a you know a, out of the long rough and, and accidentally hurt his leg doing something like that. He'll he'll just take the drop because it's kind of a, a more of a fun deal. So I think that he has that going for him, which will help him a lot. Yeah, and one thing I said last year, Woody, was I don't think that Tiger will really ever contend in a major unless he is able to play a tournament or two before that major to kind of get ready for it. And I think part of that is physical, but part of it's mental. There's a big difference between competitive golf and just going out and playing in these father-son things um, in a golf cart or the match or even the Hero World Challenge. To me, Woody, it just seems like last year he did not play enough competitive golf leading up and obviously it was because he physically couldn't do you think there's any chance we see tiger tee it up before the masters boy i'll tell you what you're spot on with that statement you just made the only reason why i can say that is i used to i would qualify for the senior pga which was always in may and uh leading up to it there really wasn't any golf tournaments 
play in. Now, I can practice a little bit, and I can play some golf with my buddies, but tournament golf is so much different, especially if you're going to a major championship. That That is what it gets on steroids, how hard the golf courses get. So if he can't play and he can't practice, for us to think that he's going to be competitive, even as great as he is, I, I think we're asking too much of him. So I, I look, 23 is going to be really interesting, guys, because if he doesn't show that tiger kill that he used to have in 23, I doubt we're going to see it in 24 or 25. I, I just, this is going to be really interesting to see what happens with him this year. I look forward to watching these little three events he plays in in December, too, because it'll tell you a little bit about his ball striking. It'll tell you a little bit about his putting. And then when 23 starts, where is he going to play? That's what the million-dollar question is. If he doesn't play a little bit of golf before the Masters, let's say, then I think we're going to get to a ceremonial type of golfer. I hate to say that about him. Well, I really do. And, He's not that guy, but I'm afraid. And, guys, I can just see the handwriting on the wall here where he plays in these three events in December, and everyone gets their hopes up because he looks pretty damn good, like we saw at Southern Hills on the range. And playing in a golf cart, T-Dub, do you agree with me? It it just seems like the handwriting is on the wall to where he plays pretty well in these and then doesn't play leading up to Augusta and then either barely makes the cut at Augusta or misses the cut. Well, he's definitely at a point now to where setbacks can happen so quick and really at, at any point on any swing that he takes. And you're exactly right because at Southern Hills, he looks good on on, on Monday and Tuesday. And, and Wednesday, he, he, lo- he looked pretty good there. So, I mean, it, it, he was solid. And then all of a sudden, he just started to get a little bit of hurt in there. And then all of a sudden, it was hard for him to, to even walk on the course. And, and looking at the schedule, guys, I mean, of all the tournaments that I think that he would play, uh, Riviera probably sticks out the most to me. Maybe Arnold Palmer. He could play the players, but but there's no chance that he plays all three of those events. And, and he, he may play Tory. That may be one of the other options too. So I think there's four options that he could play before before Augusta. But uh, I, I don't know. What I think the max on those would maybe be two of them. Maybe play the yeah. the the Tory or Riviera. I bet he probably choose Riviera there. And then if he was going to play Arnold's tournament or the players, that's pretty tough because Arnold means so much to him and he plays so well at Bay Hill. Doesn't really play that well at the players, but the PGA Tour being the or or the players being the PGA Tour's mainstay tournament, it'd be interesting to see with how much he's back the PGA Tour if he would try to give that one a go. And especially with he doesn't need money, but twenty five million dollar purse definitely. Uh, is a little bit of incentive incentivizes you to want to play. So I, I don't know, Sam. It's at this point we'll be lucky. I think after this December stretch to see him twice before Augusta. I agree with that. And Woody, do you think it's beneath Tiger to go and play in a smaller PGA Tour event this year? I know that obviously they're going to have the elevated events, but I think that Tiger might need to go get his confidence up a little bit, playing in a smaller event, get you know those competitive juices flowing under the pressure of really being in contention in a golf tournament. I feel like he might need to do that at least once or twice this year, maybe even after the Masters. But it hadn't been his makeup in years past to remember to do that. So I would probably tell you no. I, I would say that he will, I think T-Dub's spot on. I think Riviera and uh, the Bay Hill, I think he'll go where he's been successful and he'll go to the bigger events because what he wants to do is compete against the best guys in the world. And he needs to see if he can still do it. So... I'm not saying it's beneath him by any stretch of the imagination, but Tiger doesn't really have anything to prove. Um, going and beating Russell Henley uh, doesn't mean anything to Tiger Woods. Going and beating Rory and Chef, uh, where both guys mean something doing, he's going to want to see how he plays against the best. And and he'll be the first to tell you if he can. He, he'll, yep. he'll figure it out pretty quick. I hate it, but he'll – He'll know pretty quick if this is going to work or not work. So, um, no, I think we might see him twice before Augusta. I hope we do. But then again, guys, we've all looked at that leg. That thing ain't pretty. And um, no matter how much you rehab it, no matter what you do, there was a lot of damage to that body. 
and he's getting older every day too, guys. I hate to tell you. So I can speak volumes on getting older every day, and it's it's not pretty. There's nothing positive that happens in your golf game as you get older. Right. <laughs> I wish there was, but there's not. There's nothing good that happens when you get older, unless you're well, unless you're Bernard Langer. For some <laughs> reason, that son of a gun doesn't seem to bother him at the least. I don't know. I'd like to check his birth certificate. I, I think the guy's 45, not 65. <laughs> That's exactly right, guys. And speaking of the match, I didn't ask you guys, do you have any early predictions on how this match might turn out? I, I think I'm going to take uh, Spieth and JT in this match, if anyone wants a pizza on it way too early. Well, it's uh, it's interesting on the format because I guess reading here it's like a, a skins match type thing. So uh, I'm interested to see how how it all works out because they do that. Then there's a little bit more incentivation on the final few holes. I believe if that's how the format ends up working out. So I don't know. I, I can't pick against Tiger. I mean, there's no way I could at this point. And it's just a head-to-head match. There's no way. No way I could pick against Tiger, Woody. What Sam just said there is he had a big old June bug on a line. And he threw it out there in the pond because he knew T Dub would just suck it down like a big old bass. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he just sucked you in so bad right there. I'm not uh, gonna get any of that pizza because I think I think you're wrong when you're in the bet on Tiger in this one. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Uh, last time we saw Tiger at the match, or maybe not the last time we saw Tiger at the match, but the first match against Phil, they were given eight footers. So hopefully we don't see any of that uh, at the match this time to. Uh, kind of go to the 18th hole under the lights. The whole match is under the lights, right, T-Dub? I didn't even realize that. That's what, it, that's what it says right here. It says it's under the lights. Maybe it's just the last few holes. That's the, the competition is held at, at 6 p.m. local time. So okay. with daylight savings, it, it, can't, it can't be – there can't be that much light after that. And especially and when you're playing uh, with four players in this kind of deal, it'll take a decent amount of time. So I, I, I bet at least, at least 60 to 70% of, of the match is under the lights. That's beautiful. Have you so, guys ever? Have you guys ever played under light? That's what I was about have to say. Some it? of my favorite golf in college came uh, at La Fortune Park, the Par Three course out there. We would take some beers out there and go play uh, late at night, Woody. But I've never played a golf course with like Par Fours and Par Fives on it under the lights. Have you? Yeah, I just one time I got to play a couple of holes under the lights, like a, a Par Four, and I, I, what I found is your your perception is so much more difficult. It, it, you don't really have to count on numbers and really know how far you're hitting your clubs because it's just a different kind of culture. When you're out there, you're looking, no matter how bright it is, it's not the same as playing under the sun. Uh, I think it's difficult. I thought it was very difficult. You know, this is kind of a hit and giggle type of thing. I think they're going to have a lot of fun, so I don't, I don't think they'll care one way or the other. No doubt about it, Woody, and another story in the game of golf this week was that we had the Corn Ferry Tour Qualifying School over this past weekend, and guys, friend of the show, Chris Goddard finishes third in this golf tournament at 12 under par, tied for third, um, and if you're wondering what you get you know, with certain finishes in Corn Ferry Tour Qualifying School this year, it's, it's the last year of it being like this, but the winner and ties is fully exempt for the season on the Corn Ferry Tour. Players who finish second through 10th in ties are guaranteed starts in the first 12 events of the season, essentially allowing you to create a full schedule. Um, and then players who finish 11th through 40th in ties are guaranteed starts in the first eight events. The rest of the players are conditional members slotted in order and how they finished. Uh, the starts are not guaranteed, but most will at least get a few starts, guys. So that's big time for Chris Goddard being able to really set a schedule on the Corn Ferry Tour and play in 12 events, right, T-Dub? It's absolutely huge at this stage, at this stage of the game. And you, you're right, Sam. The, 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 uh, the, the qualifying school will change going into next year. But as of this year, uh, that's how it all works. And, yeah, the difference between the, the 12 events to eight events is very high because even if you get off to a rough start, 
uh, through the through the first uh, first reshuffle, which was, which as you said is eight events, then you you may not have very many starts after that if you don't play good. So this gives you more time. If it takes you a little bit of adjusting, there's a, a, a period where you can't get your game going on the first couple events. Maybe the courses you're playing don't really suit your eye that much. And the more you get in the schedule, the more comfortable you get. So yeah, finishing second through tenth was absolutely uh, monumental. And uh, mentioned Chris Gardner, that's going to give him a decent amount of uh, a good leeway and good status, I believe, to get to the PJ Tour next year, which I believe I don't want to speak for anyone, but I feel like if we were all betting on if he would make it to the PJ Tour next year or not, I feel like all of us would say yes, he would, and then he's going to be successful when he gets out there. So, so yeah, I can't wait to see it. And uh, and a good story about Bo Hogue as well. I mean, he's 34 years old, guys. I mean, he's been out uh, off and off in the PJ Tour and Corn Ferry Tour um, for quite a while, so it's really good to see him um, get that full year of status under his belt for uh, a type of journey out there uh, turned pro in 2011 so been doing it for uh, for um, for over 10 years now with really not an abundance amount of success so it's a, it's a good story uh, to see him be able to prevail and uh, hopefully he can get his card as well boys yeah and Woody I, I want to ask you about your memories from Q school obviously it was for the PGA tour not just for corn Ferry back then um, but a lot of pressure I mean we even look at a guy like Logan McAllister who finishes tied for 39th in this golf tournament shoots three under in the final round um but man if he just drops one shot at one point in that final round he goes from being in the top 40 to not being in the top 40 and and Woody that's a difference in eight starts right there that's a whole you know your your whole season your whole summer right Woody I mean I can't imagine the pressure that's under these guys I can only tell you that when I went through qualifying school I will promise you, everyone was difficult because there were three stages. Uh, but that final one, you were playing six rounds of golf. And you want to talk about being tired when you're finished with it and just completely burn out. It is so pressure-packed. And especially knowing that, like you say, it, depending on where you finish or if you don't finish, where are you going to play? Back when I was doing it, guys, it there wasn't even a corn ferry. My first year I went to qualifying school, I missed by a shot. I finished 51st, wow. and they took the top 50. Now, you want to talk about a long flight home from Palm Springs. Um, that was a killer. And, and you know, you're, you're so frustrated, but, but you just got to suck it up and figure out how am I going to do it the next time and get through it. But it's uh, – I don't know of anything – I've never – I've never felt the pressure in any golf tournament I've ever played, no matter if it was a major or anything else, as I felt at qualifying school. Qualifying school was, it was just, you had to be on that week. And if you weren't, boy, it was brutal. Yeah. And guys, two guys that missed by one shot being in the top 40 are Brendan Jelly, who played at Jinx, played his high school golf at Jinx, and then played at Oklahoma State, lives out in Arizona now. Brendan is a great guy. We should get him on the show uh, sometime. And then Spencer Levine is a guy that I want to talk about, T-Dub, because he only needs two more starts on the PGA Tour uh, to get his pension, but he finishes tied for 45th so now he not only does he need the two starts on the PGA tour but he's in the reshuffle for the corn ferry tour and so it's just this long road to just try to get those two starts on the PGA tour T-Dub it's so hard so hard for these guys and Spencer Levine's a guy you know that has finished top 10 in majors before well, what he mentioned earlier, the, the immense pressure you have of qualifying school. And for someone like Spencer Levine, I think that adds even more to that, doesn't it? I mean, trying to get your pension. I mean, there's so much money that's involved in that situation. And I'm rooting hard for Spencer Levine. I did not know that until you just uh, mentioned that, Sam. It's really cool. Spencer Levine turned pro back in 2005, guys. He's been doing this for almost two decades now. He's been out there forever, played his college golf at New Mexico, and he was a really good player back in when he first turned pro early or late 2009, 2010 range, something like that. He was a, a pretty solid, pretty solid player. So Absolutely. yeah, I'm definitely rooting for him. And I, I feel like he's, he's at a point to where he's probably going to have to get in through Monday qualifying, which I mean, he's a good enough player. I feel like he could do that uh, from time to time, but yeah, I'm rooting really hard 
for him to do that. But even if he gets in, because he has two two starts left, if he gets in one event, let's just say through Monday qualifying or whatever it may be, then he's going to have more pressure on him because if he plays good that event, then he'll get into the event the next week or whenever he can play again. So there's a lot of pressure riding on Spencer Levine in that situation, Sam. But that is a, a definitely a story yeah. that we need to follow. Very, very intriguing stuff. Woody, I'm definitely rooting for Spencer Levine. One of my dad's favorite stories, he, he always says that Spencer Levine was his greatest interview that he ever did while he was covering major championships and it was a U.S. Open back in the day. I can't remember exactly where the U.S. Open was, uh, but Spencer Levine finished as the Am in the U.S. Open and Spencer Levine is doing this interview just ripping a cigarette, talking to my dad as an amateur, as a young guy, ripping a cigarette and, and he looks up at the top of the hill where Retief Goosen is, is you know, doing the trophy and the interview and all that and, and he looks up there and he looks at my dad and he goes that guy looks like he just won the club championship he doesn't even care <laughs> so spencer levine is an absolute legend and i got to meet him when i caddied for brad dalkey at uh corn ferry event and and he's one of those guys that's kind of fiery on the golf course but he's definitely a guy you would want to go have a beer with he's he's absolutely hilarious woody can you think of any other guys kind of like that spencer levine was a character still is a character um you know i uh, and all the times I got to play in a lot of events and got to meet a lot of guys, uh, he was probably as, as unique as they could be. I remember I played at a PGA in Fahala, and um, Jay Haas was kind of, in his later years, he was still playing the tour, but he was kind of the, uh, oh, the general out there. He was somebody you respected and looked up to, and I remember we were registering, and I was sitting there talking to him, registering, and Spencer Levine came in, and he had like a tank top on and a cigarette in his mouth, and he, he I don't know what kind of pants, it wasn't much, and flip-flops, and he signs in, and Jay Haas is just staring right through him. I mean, you could see Jay Haas is not happy. And he gets finished, and he goes, you see that, Woody? That's what we don't need to have out here. That, he's a derelict. He looks like a derelict. And, and back in that day, boy, those veterans, you didn't you didn't go off the rail. You look like a professional. You act like a professional. And, I mean, I'll just never forget that, guys, because that's the one time I was really around Spencer Levine. It was only for about five minutes. But Jay Haas. Who would have loved to have taken him around the back of the building and beat him up? I know he would. He'd have throttled him if he could. <laughs> so that's my Spencer Levine. But no, I there were no. I guess played at a different time and era. We didn't have any really wild cards. John Daly was as close to a wild card as we had, and he was pretty wild at the time. But he wasn't any close to Spencer Levine. No doubt about it, guys. Uh, let's switch subjects here a little bit. Uh, we have not talked on the show yet about Bubba Watson's comments to ESPN over this past week, and, and he came out and said that he was paid behind closed doors to show up at PGA Tour tournaments. Many PGA Tour tournaments is the quote. T-Dub, this doesn't surprise me whatsoever. The thing, I guess, that surprises me is there's been a ton of great and elite players on the PGA Tour. It just seems like someone would have spoken out about this before now, right? It's kind of like uh, getting paid in, in college sports before the NIL was a thing. You know, it's like everyone, like it's not supposed to be there, but everyone does it anyway. So it, it's kind of like I expect, like this is, you're exactly right. This isn't a shock at all. And the PJ Tour came out with a statement. They said, quote, we know that certain tournament sponsors make a contract with a player to perform a sponsor-related activity during tournament week for which they receive nominal compensation. This is permissible under our guidelines. So they're not denying that this happened at all. They're just kind of trying to phrase it in a way that that makes it seem like it's not the, the way that we know that it really is, guys. And it's no shocking. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. It's just if you if you want to come out and rip the live as the PJ Tour has, you got to be honest with with what you do. And, and this is something that's been going on for years, guys. At least from my understanding. I mean, I don't have any official. I haven't seen a paycheck or anything like that from it. But uh, you know, rumors are always out there. So I, I don't know, Woody. I, I feel like this is uh, 
something that uh, it's just making with all the lift stuff, just made the PJ tour look more in the face and even more stuff like this that we thought was true is just kind of coming out. No doubt. No doubt. We, I think I, it, it, any of us that didn't believe it were kind of living under a rock. Um, it, it's finally kind of cool that somebody came out and admitted it. And of course the PGA tour immediately had to go to their, their guns and say, we didn't authorize it, but we know it goes on. I love that kind of their answer to it because they really almost like they had their hand in the cookie jar and they got caught. And for the first time they had to admit they got caught and they had to come with something to justify where this has been going on. So again, I think 2022 is going to be a year we look back guys and we think, wow, what happened to golf? Because, I've never seen a year like 2022 in golf. I mean, there's people telling stories. There's people telling fibs. So it's going to be a year that we can look at, and maybe some will like and some will dislike. But the problem is it, it's all on record now. We, we can't hide it anymore. Absolutely, and obviously Mayakoba was a solid PGA Tour tournament, but to me, the PGA Tour has had a tough week this week, guys. Let's let's go to Rory McIlroy next as far as these uh, this live story continues to grow throughout the, the semi-off season here. He came out and said, I believe there is no more time to waste. The PGA Tour and Liv will have to find a compromise and speak for the sake of our sport. Now, T-Dub, to me, he is talking directly to Jay Monahan. I don't know who else he would be talking to saying, Jay, it's time to at least entertain the idea of coming to a compromise with Liv. And that's Rory McIlroy. I feel like Rory you know, has said so many things for the PGA Tour, and then he, he comes out every once in a while and kind of says, we need a compromise here, guys. Are we going to do something or not? Like, it, it's kind of getting to that point, especially if we lose Xander Cantlay, who we're going to talk about in a second. But it, it just seems like even if Rory, if Rory McIlroy is saying this, you know, Jay Monahan has to listen, right? You would think so. And, and in all honesty, I mean, after the players' meeting, I, I feel like that Tiger and Rory I probably control more of the PJ Tour than Jay Monahan does at this point. And right. things just have to get done at, at a certain point. They do. And I think that's what a lot of these players are upset about. And, yes, they have made changes structurally on the inside and things that the Tour can do better. But they, there's been no compromise or in, any attempt, at least from my understanding, to try to figure something out with Liv. And at least for my sake, that's – that's fine. If they like, we've I've said a hundred times on the show. And I'll keep saying it. The two tours can coexist and they can make it work fine. But if they want to come together and make something better for for the game of golf, to where we could have live guys playing against PJ Tour guys all the time, I feel like that would be another good thing for golf. So, so yeah, I, I don't know, Woody. I feel like it's just the players are a little upset with the complacency by Jay Monahan. Well, it hasn't helped really in a way that that they kind of really have been bashing Greg Norman through this whole thing really hard. Not that they don't deserve to, but anytime you throw dirt on somebody and you throw it enough, it takes a while to get the dirt off because, uh, you know, they're a little irritated. And, and I think Norman feels like he is actually in the driver's seat right now. So he wants Jay Monahan to kind of calm down and quit this rhetoric about being such a badass. And he wants to be able to talk, but I'm I'm worried about it still, guys, because you got some major league egos. If if Rory and Tiger and some of those guys get together and they get Monahan in a room and then they get Norman in a room and they all kind of have a discussion, I will say this: I wish I could be a fly on the wall in the next four to five months at certain meetings that go on just to hear what is actually said because. It's no longer he said, she said. Both these tours are real. They're, they're the real deal. And they need to pass up to the fact this is this is a real challenge for the PGA Tour. You can keep fighting them or you can find a way to get along. It's like being married. You can fight all the time and then you'll be divorced. Or you can learn how to say, okay, I'm not going to fight this time. I'm going to pick another fight. I'm going to wait. And both of them are so bullheaded. I'm just, I'm kind of worried, but uh, we'll see. I don't know. 
Yeah, we absolutely will see. And last week we talked about the rumor that came out right when we did our show last Wednesday talking about Xander Shoffley and, and Patrick Cantlay. Uh, there's been more rumors since then. Matt Kuchar, Thomas Peters, and Mito Pereira floating around Twitter and different accounts that say that you know Xander and Cantlay are a done deal. Other accounts are saying that it's not even close to a done deal, that they're staying on the PGA Tour. I want to say one thing that I have noticed is most of the time these rumors happen after a week and a half or so, the player comes out and says, no, I'm staying on the PGA Tour. And we've heard absolutely none of that from Patrick Cantlay or Xander Shoffley. Uh, to me, the the longer this goes on, the more and more validity I give to it, T-Dub. It, it is interesting that neither one of them have come out and said anything. So at, at, at the worst case, I feel like there's negotiation talks being there, and they're at least having that as an option in their playbook. But And as we saw with like the John Rom situation, it took, what, three, four days before yeah. he came out and said anything? And now it's been been almost two weeks now. Is it? Well, I mean, the Shoffley-Cantley rumors have been going on for months now. For months, but, but they, I they, feel they, like they they've did. really ramped up, right? Well, yeah, yes, it was. Who was it? The Guardian and whoever who reported it initially, yep. and you know, we we posed on our question was, are they just going off of old rumors, or are they uh, actually have some more validity to this? And uh, and with Mito Pereira and uh, Thomas Peters were on that, and then Matt Kuchar has kind of been added to that list over the last week or so. So it's uh, yeah, definitely very interesting. And and yes, you make a good point, Sam. Once Shoffley or, or Cantley comes out and says that they're staying on the PJ Tour. Because we've been saying it for a long time. We feel like that they're a package deal. So I feel like if one comes out and says they're staying, they're probably both staying, especially since they're such good friends. So definitely going to be something to monitor. But uh, at this point, Sam, I feel like it's honestly a coin flip on whether they go or if they don't. And Woody, I mean, I know we talked about it last week, but some of our listeners might not have heard it. I'll ask you the same question. It, it just seems like there's about four or five guys on the PGA Tour right now, and obviously it's Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, and then you go to guys like a Xander Shoffley and a Patrick Cantlay and a Colin Morikawa kind of in that you know tier 1A, right? And I feel like this is worst-case scenario for the PGA Tour if they were to lose one of these guys or both of these guys. Well, if they lose both these guys, now we really got a dog fight going on. And I, I, I can't imagine it. Let, let's just hypothetical, guys. You, you, the three of us are sitting around, and we are Xander Shoffley and Cantley and uh, Mito Pereira. And we go, did you see what Dustin Johnson made in eight events? Well, how about what Taylor Gooch? Or worst case scenario, how about what Pat Perez? Right. And they're going to be looking around, and they're going to go, well, I can beat all those guys. I can beat every one of them. Maybe can't beat DJ, but I can beat every one of these guys. And they're making five times the amount of money I am for less play. Well, no matter how you put this out there, you can go with a Saudi issue. Throw it any issue you want. I don't care. The bottom line is, is when you're done with your career, how much money do you have in the bank? Because let's not forget, guys, they're doing this for a living. They want to talk about legacy and everything else. That's great. You can keep pulling that smoke up my fanny all you want, but I'm not listening to that. I'm talking about how much money do I have when I'm done? And can I successfully live for the rest of my life comfortably? Yeah, these guys on this live in one year have now got themselves pretty well set for life. So if I'm one of those guys sitting around going, hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to get as much money as I can in the bank and then wait to see what happens. I think they're going. I, I truly believe they're going. Absolutely. It's like I said last week, you know, legacy is great, but how does legacy help my wife and kids, right? You know what I mean? And and just like you said, Woody, and uh, how much money do I have in the bank when I'm done? I think a lot of guys care about that a lot more than the fans wish they would uh, because I, I, I know a lot of these guys. And the main thing, like you said, Woody, this is their job. This is their living. Um, and T-Dub, the, the question that I want to ask you and – to me, looking at Liv and the guys that they have on Liv and looking at the PGA Tour right now, albeit the PGA Tour is deeper, but if Liv were to get Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley, I think you have a legitimate argument that Liv 
if not better, at least has the same product that the PGA Tour has? At the top of the field, absolutely it does. You have Rory, Ron versus Cantley, Shoffley, you'd have uh, Cam and DJ versus Scheffler and, uh, I don't know, Finau, JT, Zalatoris, somewhere around there, Max. Morikawa, Max Homa, and and Morikawa was on that streak of he, he hasn't been playing as well as, yep. as he as he did at least a year and a half ago. I mean, he he's won two majors now, and the last couple of years he's been openly he said he struggled with his game, and he's still a top five iron player on the PGA Tour. It's just not as elite uh, as it used to be. But yeah, I, I think that Liv is slow if they get those two players. But those are the two biggest dominoes that are going to have to fall because. If they don't get those two guys, it's definitely not a, it's, it's a huge blow for Liv just for all the, the rumors that have been going on, the possibility that they would have. And it's not saying Liv is going to fail if they don't get these two guys. But, uh, but yeah, and, and even for the PJ Tours, we mentioned before as well, if, if they lose those two players and they, they still want to play this hardball and not allow the players to play on the PJ Tour, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a long road and it'll allude more to what Woody said earlier. We'll look back on 2022 and say, what in the world happened in golf? And it's so much different now. And I, just my personal opinion, I think it'll be for the better going forward. But, but just to your original question, Sam, you're hundred percent right. If they get those two players, at least the top, the top 10 players on live first top 10 players on PJ tour would be one hell of a matchup. And T dub. I, I do want to say this one point that I just thought of and talking about leverage. We talked about how the guys that went to live sooner have more leverage to get bigger contracts. Now, Talking about Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley, I feel like they have more leverage than anybody has had talking to Liv because the Liv teams that are starting next year, the captain reportedly will have a, a, an equity and a stake in those teams. And if Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay go to Liv, that means that it gives Liv the validity and, and you know the the accolades that it needs to be a legitimate golf tour, right? And so to me, I feel like then they would get the TV deal, then the team would be worth more, then their equity in their teams would be worth more, plus you know their guaranteed money on top of all of that. I feel like as far as money goes, Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley have more negotiating power than anybody has had, even more than DJ. It is an interesting question because you look at the timetable of the leverage, right? I mean, you had guys like like DJ and, and even Gooch who came out initially who went. I, I feel like they, if if they didn't decide to go, Liv wouldn't have been able to get off its platform. So right. I, I don't know how I would compare the two leverages there because at this point, it's it's if Cantley and Shoffley go, it's at a point to where Liv should essentially, if they do the right things, will make money at the end of the day. And I feel like that's going to be in the at least for a lot of live critics, that's been one of their biggest debates is, oh, well, they don't have a, a, a business structure. They don't know what the hell they want to do. They're not going to make any money. Well, if they get these two guys, and with everything you just mentioned with the team and everything like that, I feel like they absolutely can make money as long as they do uh, the right things and have some things go their way. And go with leverage, too. You have someone like – I will say this. I do think that, that Cantlin and Shoffley have more leverage than Cam Smith did even after winning the Open Championship because as great as that was, this is at a point now to where those two guys – who, who are top five, top ten at worst players in the world. It flips the would, tables. Would, well, because it, it not only it, – it's similar to uh, KD going to the, the Warriors situation. Not yeah. only does it make the, the Warriors that much better, but it made the Thunder that much worse, and that's what will happen here. Not only will Liv Tour get so much better, but the PJ Tour is going to be a, a hit that it's. Uh, I think they'll still survive from, but it's going to be one that's going to take a long time to. No, you're exactly right. Woody, any thoughts on the leverage part of this? Talking about Cantley and Xander having huge leverage against Liv uh, negotiating their deals? You know what's different about this time, him them talking about Cantley? They've already got him as a captain of Team Torque. And I think that's what makes it sound even more enticing to me as far as the guy going. Because of what's happening with their model, they're saying the captain... What, to get 25% of the team? Reportedly, so, yeah. And I obviously, mean, that that's just a rumor on, on Cantlay being offered to the captaincy of Team Torque. But yes, both sure, things have sure. been, been rumored. Right, but it, it, what it's telling you is they are getting a business model that these professional golfers and their management is what's really looking at it because they're putting pencils to it long term. If there is success, which so far so good for Liv. It's been successful. We might not want to admit it, but it's been successful. And most managers are saying to these pros, hey, look, 
let me show you what you could make over the next 10 years if you own a company or own a team. And it's like owning an NBA team or owning an NFL team. It's not that kind of money. I understand. We're not talking about billions of dollars. But it is a lot of money, guys, if this, if this model works, which I don't see any reason it shouldn't work. Uh, you know, a, a captain on one of these teams is going to be printing money. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be very lucrative, and it's going to be even harder to turn this down. A hundred percent, guys. Do you have any final thoughts on that, T Dub, or, or do you want to move on? I, I just feel like it's. You're exactly right when you talked about earlier, just the 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 impact that this could have on the game of golf going forward. Because I, I feel like with with Rory and Rom and, and Scheffler, I don't think those guys are going to uh, have any chance of leaving the PGA Tour to go to live. So these are the two biggest players that that are left in play, and they're absolutely huge uh, pieces on the chessboard. So it's uh, this is something that people may think, oh, well, we may just be talking about rumors and stuff. But people who, who don't get it don't understand how much impact this could have on golf going forward. I just want people out there to realize the monumentalness that this decision that Cantlay and Shopley make could have on on golf for the next the next for the rest of time essentially literally and it's pretty ironic to have two guys uh that can flip the uh scales of golf when they haven't even won a major yet both guys are still looking for their first major and and hold the biggest trump card in all of golf in my opinion i think it's kind of a revolutionary time in the game of golf guys uh let's end the show here i do want to give a shout out to rose zhang who plays at stanford who has played in 14 college golf tournaments get this guys she's played in 14 college golf tournaments she's won seven of them 13 of the 14 finishes are top tens her worst finish is a tied for 12th 21 of the 43 rounds have been in the 60s and her career scoring average is 69.42 that's that comes from Brentley Romine on the golf channel that is unbelievable guys and we've talked a lot about North Carolina on the men's side but Stanford having Rose Zhang is just I mean unbelievable she's a world beater for sure Oh, there's absolutely no doubt about it. I mean, she's uh, she's lead, the leader of that Stanford team, and I believe I believe it was last year's Augusta Women's National Amateur that uh, Stanford had a, seven players that were playing in that tournament. Seven. I mean, it's just it, it's crazy to think about. And Rose Zhang's had an, an exceptionally great uh, career uh, up to this point. I mean, she won the uh, the U.S. Women's Am going all the way back to 2020, and then won NCAA's last year. So she's uh, she's on her way to being a very very great um, great LPGA player and you know hopefully she just doesn't have a, a, a Michelle Wee type situation where she's better when she was younger compared to when she was older which I don't think will happen but uh, but yeah she's definitely off uh, to a great start her best finish in a major so far even as an amateur is T11 at, at the at Chevron back in 2020 so uh, she's definitely got a bright future ahead of her guys no doubt about it and Woody tomorrow on our show we will talk about the Cadence Bank Houston Open at Memorial Park Golf Course and obviously we've seen uh you know tournaments in Houston like at Redstone or Golf Club of Houston now or at the Woodlands I'm not familiar with Memorial Park Golf Course are you guys familiar with that one I've gotten to play it on a number of occasions uh believe it or not I have a buddy of mine lives down there and uh tomorrow I'll tell you a funny story that he was in a gambling match that uh <laughs> Still to this day, I chuckle at it. It'll be story time with Woody again tomorrow, so the, the listeners need to come in because this one's funny now. But uh, this Memorial Park is a is, is a sneaky little golf course. It's a public golf course, but it's hard, guys. It's really hard. Plus, they redid a lot of the holes on it from the times that I had played early and then got to play it after it had been done. So. It's a hard golf course. I'll just tell you that. Don't look for 23 under. No doubt about it. Stay with us tomorrow on the 73rd hole. We're going to have a special guest, and we'll also get into the Houston Open on the 73rd hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go get all of your local golf news from golfoklahoma.org. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram as well. Guys, thanks for joining the show this has been jim woodward and taylor williams for sam humphreys this has been the 73rd old podcast the official podcast of golf oklahoma